message this morning. We continue on our series of learning lessons of parenting from God our Father. And as we look at these lessons together, we're going to be turning to Genesis today. And it makes me think about family life. I don't care how good your family is. I mean, even a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' family and how he had kind of done his own thing at 12 years old in Jerusalem and got lost. And I mean, even if Jesus' family can kind of have some crazy circumstances and some things go wrong, all our families, you know, we have our moments, no matter how loving mom and dad is or no matter how good the kids are, where maybe we're frustrated with each other or, or just in the midst of a huge challenge that stresses our lives. And, and I know our family has been through that, too. I, I think of uh, a time when uh, our youngest daughter, Mallory, was first diagnosed with diabetes. And uh, we'd been at the hospital for a week or two. We had come home, and we were trying to figure out how to keep up with carbs and how to, how to give insulin and how to prick your finger every time so that you could see, you know, do the blood thing and, and see the blood sugar levels and all that. And uh, after we'd come home, probably within the first week, Andrea wasn't there. And it was just me and Mallory, and that, that was the only people in the house, uh, which, looking back, was a bit scary, uh, because she had maybe eaten more than she thought, or, or her blood sugar, anyway, had gone kind of high, and I, we were trying to bring it down, but to bring it down, we had to know how much insulin to give her, so we were trying to prick her finger one of the first times and and she was trying to do it on her own and it wasn't really working and I was trying to help her and that wasn't working at all and, uh, and we were both getting stressed out and both about in tears and asking the Lord to help us and finally by God's grace she figured it out I believe on her own I don't think I helped one bit uh, but we we did were able to read the glucose monitor and give her the insulin she needed and you know things kind of got back normal again but it was a stressful time for our family. And, and you got to have kind of good, healthy family dynamics to make it through those stressful seasons, good, bad, or otherwise. And so today we want to look at God the Father's family dynamics in relationship to us. And then, of course, our family dynamics in relationship to our children or our grandchildren or our adult children and how we can reflect uh, the, the model God gives us. And so to do that, we're looking at Adam and Eve and their story. We're going to be catching excerpts from Genesis chapter 2 on through Genesis chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to read along. I'll try to guide you as best I can. We're starting in the seventh verse of the second chapter of the story of the Lord's relationship with Adam and Eve. And here's how it goes. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat tree from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So uh, then he notices Adam's alone. He makes Eve 
out of his side. And we pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And so he said to the woman one day, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together, made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he answered, um, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and so I hid. And he said, Well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Now the woman, of course, ends up blaming the serpent, and as the joke goes, the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. So, Then at the end of chapter 3, verse 21, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil, so he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he had drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me and for me as we prepare? Lord Jesus, uh, we come before you. I pray, help me lift you up, even though we're talking about Old Testament things. You were active then and you're active today. And let your Holy Spirit guide us all to think about how your grace wants to transform our, our families into healthier communities to grow our children, our grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, and how we might be a part of that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we look at family dynamics some today, we want to look at how God the Father treated, treated Adam and Eve and how he also treats us, and lessons that shows us as, as moms and dads and grandparents how we can work better and ha have a healthy family environment with our kids. And so as we start this journey, I want to kind of point out four things that I see in, in relation to this out of the story that we've read this morning. The first thing that I want you to notice is that one of the first good things God the Father does is he gives Adam a job. He calls them to work. He gives them 
a, a place of responsibility in the world. This is the garden. Your job is to take care of it and bring and cultivate the best out of it. And uh, the first lesson for us is the lesson, and, and if it was Labor Day, we could preach on this a whole you know, 20 minutes or whatever, but it's not Labor Day. But the gist of this is that work is not a result of the fall. We were given a job before we even messed anything up. Work is a part of who we are as human beings. We were created to be productive, to be creative, to use our effort and energy to make an impact on the world around us and to shape it for a, a better environment and better creation and better world. Uh, I saw a quote from uh, ancient theologian I'd never heard of, and so we're going to learn. His name is Simeon, the new theologian. Now, new back thousands of years ago, because he was around in 1000 AD. Uh, he's not that very new to us today, but he had this comment on this insight, which I think just brings the greater truth out. In the beginning, man was created with a nature inclined to work. For in paradise, Adam was enjoined to till the ground and take care of it. And there is in us a natural bent for work and the movement toward the good. Those who yield themselves instead to idleness or apathy, even though they may be spiritual and holy, they hurl themselves into unnatural subjection to passions. By passions, I think he means those things that lead us toward bad results, right? So what he's saying is we have a natural bent for work, and when we deny that natural bent, we tend to get into trouble. And so there's kind of a good first parenting lesson. We see this in some of the younger folks in today's world who, you know, as they get in, into their teens and 20s, maybe they don't have a passion for education they don't know what they have a passion for except maybe playing video games. And they have kind of forgotten. And maybe the parents have had a hard time reminding him, you were made to do something good and productive in this world. And yes, there are a couple of kids who can like make a living playing video games. But that's kind of like only the pros. And so, you know, there's, there's labor out there for us. And so that's the first one that we see in the scripture. The Father gives Adam responsibility, work, and structure. The second thing I want you to notice in this is how the Father sets boundaries to protect Adam and Eve for their good. In this, uh, the early story, there's only one boundary. God the Father says, eat from any tree in the garden. The apple tree's good, the orange tree's good, pineapple, whatever you want. But the one tree in the middle of the garden, even the tree of life, you can eat from that. But the one tree I ask you to stay away from is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because when you eat of that, you'll begin to understand not just the right thing to do, but you'll begin to see also wrong things you can do, excuse me, that you could do and go down the wrong path. And so stay away from that tree. Well, that sneaky serpent comes in and, and kind of, Flips the, flips the story and entices both Adam and Eve to take of the fruit and, uh, and they fall on their face, right? But the lesson, first of all, 
is that the Father sets boundaries for our good. And this is an important lesson as well. Um, one of the things that we see in God setting a boundary for us is that God loves us so much that he didn't want to turn us into robots, right? He doesn't want to make everything programmed in you and in me so that we have to have a relationship with him, so that we have to obey him, so that we have to do what he says, so that we have to have to follow along as, as like he's our Pied Piper. Instead, God is a loving creator. God says, you know what? I want to give them an opportunity to have choice, to make a decision of their will, whether they want to stay on the path of the relationship with me or whether they want more autonomy and freedom to do their own thing and to maybe learn some hard lessons that they might only learn by choosing a path away from me. And in this, we see God as a parent make a hard choice, and that is to allow us freedom to mess up and to learn from our mistakes. And when we mess up, the third principle we see is that when, when you break a healthy boundary, there are going to be consequences, right? We see the consequence here that they're not allowed to keep eating from the tree of life because then they would be able to do bad things and to do selfish things and to do evil things and live forever. And so God says, you know, that's not going to work. And so instead, he allows them to go their way of self-centeredness and selfishness. But that means getting excluded from the garden, having to work the ground on their own, to work the ground in a way that sometimes it'll be a blessing and bring forth fruit and bring forth what they need and other times it's not. And other times they're going to have bad crops, so they're going to have hard circumstances. It's going to be what the Bible calls toil and work and labor. There were consequences. They did also in eating the fruit and not having the tree of life meant that they embraced their mortality, that death became a reality for the human race. So all these things are going on that we see. He sets good boundaries for us. There are consequences to those boundaries. And then the fourth thing we see in this relationship is that even when we make mistakes and even when we blow it and even when we feel ashamed because we know we've blown it and we see that shame in our nakedness and we want to clothe ourselves up with, with leaves to, to hide that shame that we feel. They begin playing the game of hide and seek with the Father, right? And they think that they can get away with it, and they think they can get away with him, but there he is. And the good news is, as a good father, he's willing to play hide and seek with us. And when we hide, he comes looking. He seeks us out and seeks to restore the relationship that's been broken. Seeks to help us learn from our disobedience and repent and to grow in his love and grace. Now, this isn't the only story where we see this at all. Uh, Jesus as well told a different story, but similar topic, right? And that's the story of the prodigal son. In the story of the prodigal son, the son said, 
I've had enough, Dad. I want to run my own life my own way. I want to be free. I don't want any boundaries from family holding me back. I want to be able to go to sleep when I want and eat what I want and, and spend time with whoever I want. And so he takes all his inheritance early, right? He leaves and he goes and does his own thing. And what's the father do? The father's looking outside the window every day, praying for his son, hoping and praying that one day he'll come home. One day he'll realize that life on your own isn't all it's cracked up to be. One day, hope you realize when your nose is in the mud with the pigs and they're eating better than you are, that maybe it's time to go home. And when we begin to make that journey home, the Father is eager and runs to meet us because he loves us. God the Father pursues a relationship with us, even when we falter, fail, mess up, and run away. So these are some of the principles we see God modeling in the story of Adam and Eve. And so how do we relate these principles to developing a family life that is healthy and whole and stable? Well, I get to do premarital counseling once in a while. And when I do, I use a program called Prepare and Enrich. And the psychologists in this group have developed a, a pattern for understanding your family and how it has worked, either the family you grew up in or the family you're in now. And in that, there are two key dynamics that relate to this story that, uh, that they see as a sort of a family map of how to keep families in a healthy place so that when you go through times of stress and times of challenge and times when everybody's not happy with everybody else, that you can keep that family together and have an opportunity to move forward together. You know the two components that are mentioned in that family map? One is flexibility in the family, and the second is closeness or intimacy in the family. And when you get flexibility and closeness in balance, then the family life usually goes pretty well. When those two things get out of balance and move to extreme places of unhealth, then that's usually a sign of a family that's in trouble and may not make it. So let's look at these a little closer. The first is flexibility. There needs to be flexibility within the family structure. If flexibility gets out of whack, it can get out of whack in one of two ways. The first way is that it can, uh, it can lead to a place of too much flexibility in the family. In a family where there is too much flexibility, there are often no boundaries hardly any boundaries, or if there are boundaries at all, there are boundaries that kind of hit and miss, and so the family never knows what the rules are, and when a rule is going to be enforced, and when a rule is not going to be enforced. And in a family with too much flexibility, brothers and sisters, um, what we see often is that the parents give up the role of leadership in the family, and they give it to their children. And the children become the ones who run the family show. 
Have you ever, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a two-year-old ask for the keys to the car, right? If you give your two-year-old the keys to the car, is good things going to happen? Not usually, right? So whether it's a two-year-old, a four-year-old, or a ten-year-old, that's not a time to give them the keys to the car. But yet families sometimes, parents, you know, they want to be buddy-buddy or they want to be friends or they don't want to be harsh. And so they develop a family with so much flexibility. For instance, oftentimes in families like this, it'll be the kids that determine their bedtime. And so you might have a two-year-old, right, that'll stay up till 11 o'clock at night watching TV or playing on the phone until they just can't keep their eyes open anymore and then they conk out and go to sleep. And that's not usually a healthy place for a family to be, where the kids are making the rules for the family because the kids don't know any better. And so we see two of the principles that the Lord used with us here at work. The first principle is that the Lord gave us as humans uh, some work or some responsibility, or for younger kids, gave us some structure. And that structure, those habits, those rituals that occur in the family every day help regulate. Now it's nap time. From 11 to 12 for my one-year-old, that's nap time. From 3 to 4, that's nap time. And so we're going to keep a structured schedule, a rhythm of life that helps the children know what their role in the family is at that moment. And so that can be a big help for us. It may be praying around the lunch table or the dinner table. For us, it was reading books before bed or having prayer before bed. But finding ways to give a sense of structure to our kids so that they knew what was expected. And they knew that we were in charge of that. While at the same time, allowing them a bit of freedom uh, to, to sort of do their own thing. Oftentimes, we would try to give our kids sort of the two-choice method. You know the two-choice method, right? Instead of saying, what do you want for lunch? You'd say, uh, where the kid may have too much to think about, I have no idea what I want for lunch. We'd say, do you want a bologna sandwich for lunch? Or do you want ham, beans, ketchup, pickles, and cheese? Now, that was actually our oldest daughter, Lindsay's favorite meal for like two years. So it was pretty easy with her. But, but, but those are the kind of dynamics that to, to allow some freedom, but not so much flexibility that there's no boundaries in the family home. So, right? so we want to avoid that. Uh, in fact, as I think about that, uh, there was a season after the fall where the God the Father kind of steps back a little bit. Do you notice? He steps back from the human race and says, okay, you guys have chosen this path. I'll allow you some flexibility and some freedom. Let's see what you do with it. Let's see how things go when, you know, you can call on me when you want, but you don't have to. You can kind of run this life however you want, and we'll see what happens, right? And within six chapters, what's going on? The writer of Genesis sums it up, that human beings were thinking and doing evil constantly all the time. We were bent towards selfishness all the time. We were bent towards self-interest all the time. And so God gets to a place that says, this thing of too much freedom and flexibility, it doesn't work. So I think I've got to start over. And so he brings in a flood with Noah. He washes everything away. He starts fresh with his small family of eight. 
And then in the journey, the next go-around, he gets more involved in creation, and he begins to to have a a nice balance of flexibility and closeness. Uh, and, and And we see clearer boundaries there too, like the Ten Commandments, right? So he's moving to that place. Now, the flip side of this for families in in, uh, flexibility is you might not be a a family that is uh, too flexible. Instead, you might be a family that is way too rigid. And a rigid family is also not a healthy place to be. Because in a rigid family... Usually there's a more authoritarian sense of leadership. Here, yes, you have leadership. You've got a lot of leadership. You have way too much leadership. And that leadership says everything is black and white. Everything is my way or the highway. And you better not make any mistakes. You better not rebel at all. You better follow the rules or else you are in big trouble. And that's also not a healthy place for a family to be. Because in this structure, there is no freedom to make mistakes. There is no freedom to kind of learn from making mistakes. There is no allowance to sort of explore the world and figure things out a little bit on your own and figure out where you want to be like mom and dad and where you want to have a different interest than mom and dad. And so a rigid home with no flexibility often finds a lot of trouble. It often eventually, a lot of times the kids, you know, just get so tired of it, they just, they rebel, right? They say, I, we don't, this is too much. I'm tired of this. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't care if I get in trouble or not. I'll just leave home and, you know, run my own life. And so with flexibility, what we see is healthy families find a way to navigate between not being too structured and not be too inflexible. They find somewhere in the middle. And that, isn't that what the father did with Adam and Eve? Here's the boundary. Yes, there will be consequences. But if you blow it, I'm still looking out for you. I'm still going to invite you to be in a relationship with me. I still will find a way to make this work and for you to learn from your sin and mistakes. So that's what we see. Now, the second dynamic is not just flexibility, but the second dynamic is the area of closeness and intimacy. And again, in this dynamic, some families really have no closeness at all. There is no intimacy at all. Often these are families with with children that are neglected. Uh, They don't know where mom is or what dad is doing. They're on their own. They're fending for themselves at five, six, seven years old. They're having to go to the refrigerator and hope there's something there that they can make for themselves to eat. And they don't feel very loved. They don't feel much affection. They feel isolated and alone and independent, like like their life is counting on them, and they have no support, and they have no loyalty, and they have no love, and they have no care. Because there's no closeness in the family. And this, brothers and sisters, is one of the the most desperate places to be. I'm reading Mother Teresa this year, and so I'll probably share with you an occasional quote from her. But she talks about this in her work with the poor and the lonely in India. 
she says this, there is much suffering in the world, physical and material and mental. The suffering of some can be blamed on the greed of others. The material and the physical suffering is suffering from hunger, from homelessness, from all kinds of diseases. But the greatest suffering is being lonely, feeling unloved, and having no one. I've come more and more to realize that it is being unwanted that is the worst disease that any human being can ever experience. Being unwanted. A family where there is no closeness and intimacy and care. Those are hard places to grow up in. But on the flip side, on the flip side, um, you can have families where there is too much closeness, where there is too much love and too much affection, and it becomes so much that it becomes smothering, right? And there's only we, and you've got to, you know, you've got to take care of your mom, or you've got to always uh, be around your dad. You can't have your own friends. You can't do your own thing. You can't kind of try to... To, to find interests on your own. You have to be uh, in a place of being smothered a little bit. And oftentimes, uh, I think themes in movies will pick up on this. Some of you could probably shout out some movies where you see this dynamic between a mother and daughter or mother and son or father and son where, where there is so much enmeshment and there's codependency and there's all these dynamics going on that the, the family is really in a sick place because they're too close to each other. Um, I think of the movie Black Swan as, as one that I saw not too long ago of the dancer uh, who was Natalie Portman. And her mom was sort of that codependent mom that was always hovering, that was always uh, looking over, that was always you know, kind of right at the door. And, and she just she felt smothered. And the whole movie is about sort of her trying to figure out how to find freedom from her mom and while also dealing with some other mental challenges in her life. And uh, it's really a sad story. But, but it's that dynamic, right? And so when we look at Scripture again, how do we see God treat us, right? God initiates when the relationship is rocky. He seeks us out, but he, does, he never forces us to be close to him. Again, he allows us that freedom either say yes to his grace and to see salvation and restore relationship or for us to say no and to go our own way and to do our own thing. But he is always striving to be a loving father for us, for you and me. He's always seeking to restore us and bring us home. And so, brothers and sisters, today, I want to encourage you just in your own family life to look at what kind of family did you grow up in? What characteristics were unhealthy that maybe you realized then those were so unhealthy, I don't want to replicate those for my family. And maybe in your own family life you've seen some of those dynamics and wrestled with some of those things. And so today my prayer for us is that we will learn how to grow in grace in a way that as families, either with our children or our grandchildren or great-grandchildren, that that we're building a family life that's both has flexibility and love and care and freedom, while also having boundaries 
while having structure and encouraging this idea that you were made for a purpose and to labor and to work. And then the second dynamic also be families that, that find ways to be close, to love one another, to be intimate, but also to let our children and grandchildren find the path that the Lord calls them to that may be something wholly different from who we are or what we've done. This is the path of a healthy family. This is the path of God the Father's relationship with us. And I pray today that, that we might find ways to be more healthy as families and as a church, because a lot of the same dynamics work here in the days ahead. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit,